Hi, this is Pastor Greg Ryan of Faith Bible Church in Mechanicsville, Maryland, coming at you with my weekly podcast, So I Was Reading. In it, I'll share my observations and applications on something I read in God's Word this week, and I hope and pray that these thoughts will bless you in some way as we delve into the Word together and pray about what we've learned. Well, good day, dear friends. Uh, Welcome you back to the podcast. Let's just start right off with a prayer, shall we? Lord God, we come before you today to hear from you, to spend time with you as we seek to know you more. Uh, Bless this time in your word and help us to understand the message you have for us. And it's in your name. Amen. So I was reading Mark 8, and there's a lot in here, but I settled on one idea. In chapter 6, we have a scene where Jesus feeds 5,000 men, and however many women and children were present, uh, with just five loaves of bread and two fish, somehow managing to get 12 baskets full of leftovers. And here in chapter 8, he feeds 4,000 people total with seven loaves and, quote, a few small fish, end quote, and somehow ends up with seven baskets full of leftovers. He then denies a sign to the Pharisees and the rest of their generation, which I find weird because he does sort of signs like all the time. I think he's speaking of a specific type of sign, but that isn't what I researched, so maybe I'll come back to that some other time. I can't do everything in these short thoughts of mine. Anyway, he, Jesus, then rebukes his disciples for not understanding the stuff he's been doing, and we get to our scene. So, picking up at verse 31 and going to verse 38, Mark 8, from the ESV. And he began to teach them that the Son of Man must suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And he said this plainly. And Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him. But turning and seeing his disciples, he rebuked Peter and said, Get behind me, Satan, for you are not setting your mind on the things of God, but on the things of man. And calling the crowd to him with his disciples, he said to them, If anyone would come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever would save his life will lose it. But whoever loses his life for my sake and the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole world and forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? For whoever is ashamed of me and of my words in this adulterous and sinful generation, of him will the Son of Man also be ashamed when he comes in the glory of his Father with the holy angels. Okay, so that last verse will be the focus, though, of course, we can't ignore the context. We always have to be aware of the context, as that will help us understand the point of the passage. No verses in the Bible are meant to be read in isolation, just like any conversation you would have today. I mean, saying something as simple as, that's cold, takes on a wildly different meaning in a conversation about eating pizza, as opposed to one about the way your friend broke up with his girlfriend, okay? Gotta read it in context. It might not be the full case here, but it's still always good to check the context of what's going on. So Peter just tried to rebuke Jesus because Jesus wasn't living up to Peter's expectations. Expectations that he wasn't alone in having, by the way. 
For example, the, the Qumran community, most notably known today for uh, compiling and collecting the Dead Sea Scrolls, uh, this was a separatist community living out in the desert that established what they considered to be a pure priesthood set against what they saw as the corrupt priesthood of the Jerusalem temple. In the scrolls, they developed, or at least recorded, the concept of two messiahs. One, the traditional Hebraic concept of this earthly, conquering Davidic king, and the other, a priestly messiah who would save them morally from sin and such. Now, knowing this and considering some of Peter's other actions, uh, like later when he lops off the dude's ear when they come to arrest Jesus in the garden, we can assume that he thinks Jesus is the former, the conquering Davidic king who would free them from Rome. Jesus's talk about suffering and dying doesn't fit Peter's narrative. So he actually has the audacity to pull Jesus aside to rebuke him for not fitting in with his messianic expectations. So let me say that again. Peter rebukes God's actual Messiah for not fitting Peter's definition of the Messiah. So talk about prideful arrogance. And it's that arrogance that moves Jesus to turn, face the other disciples, then loudly and publicly say to Peter, get behind me, Satan. The Hebrew word for adversary, uh, which harkens us back to a scene told us in both Matthew 4 and Luke 4. So I'm going to read Matthew 4, 8 to 10 to show you what Jesus is referring to here. Let scripture interpret scripture. From the ESV, Matthew 4, verses 8 to 10. Again, the devil took him to a very high mountain. Speaking, the devil took Jesus to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their glory. And he said to him, all these things I will give you if you will fall down and worship me. Then Jesus said to him, be gone, Satan, for it is written, you shall worship the Lord your God and him only shall you serve. Now, some ancient manuscripts, instead of be gone, Satan, actually have the phrase, get behind me, Satan. Either way, the meaning is essentially the same as is the situation with our passage today. Satan, when he tells Jesus to, quote, worship him or, quote, prostate himself before him, and also Peter, when he rebukes Jesus for suggesting that he would suffer and die at the hands of the Jews and the Romans, they are both suggesting that Jesus should forego the punishment and suffering of the cross, the very thing he specifically came to the earth to endure. And instead, both suggest that Jesus take a shortcut to world dominion. Hence, Jesus calls Peter Satan. Well, Jesus then gathers a crowd together with his disciples to explain briefly what it does mean to follow him. And that largely consists of making your life and your ideas subject to his ideas. And if you don't, he warns that there could be literal hell to pay. So the Greek word translated ashamed refers to being disgraced, personally humiliated, with a sense of garnering and donning a, a fitting shame that matches the air of wrongly identifying or aligning oneself with someone or something. See, Peter's rebuking, which comes immediately after uh, Jesus commends Peter for rightly calling Jesus the Christ and not just some prophet or reincarnated John the Baptist. 
Peter's rebuking Jesus is essentially a statement that he doesn't believe Jesus is the Messiah or Christ if he goes and suffers and dies. He correctly identifies Jesus as Messiah, but then he changes, or at least attempts to change, who Jesus is to fit what he thinks Jesus should be. So, ashamed, not aligning with Jesus as he is, but aligning to a Jesus that Peter wants him to be. And I think you now see where I'm going with this. And strangely, um, I didn't until I got to this part, because... The Holy Spirit's awesome, and I hope you agree with that. He's, he's way smarter than I am, and that's for sure. But our innate desire to change the Godhead, be it the Father or the Son or the Holy Spirit, to change the Godhead to fit our idea of how God should act or be, stands in opposi opposition to God and who he actually is and acts. What that is, is idolatry. What that is, is creating a different God, lowercase g, to replace the true God, uppercase g. What that is, is elevating our minds and desires and wills above his will and desires and mind. God tells us in his word that he never changes, so suggesting that he did change isn't changing God. It's creating a new God to replace him. You might as well just gather gold from all your friends, melt it down, and make a golden calf to worship because you're doing the same thing that the Israelites did in the desert. And if you don't know that story, it's in Exodus 32. And what happens when an individual or a community or a state or a nation does this? When God is replaced by some false god of our creation? Well, Romans 1 answers that. Paul tells us in verses 22 and 23 that claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things, and sometimes even the self. And because they did this, verses 24 to 32 tell us, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, to the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie a false god, and worshipped and served the creature rather than the creator, the created rather than the creator, who is blessed forever. Amen. For this reason, God gave them up to dishonorable passions, for their women exchanged natural relations for those that are contrary to nature. And the men likewise gave up natural relations with women and were consumed with passion for one another, men committing shameless acts with men and receiving in themselves the due penalty for their error. And since they did not see fit to acknowledge God, God gave them up to a debased mind to do what ought not to be done. They were filled with all manner of unrighteousness, evil, covetedness, malice. They are full of envy, murder, strife, deceit, maliciousness. They are gossips, slanderers, haters of God, insolent, haughty, boastful, inventors of evil, disobedient to parents, foolish, faithless, heartless, ruthless. Though they know God's righteous decree that those who practice such things deserve to die, they not only do them, but give approval to those who practice them. Friends, you don't have to take a long look around to see all of these things happening in our world today. And the response isn't to say these things are now somehow of God, that somehow God has changed his mind and now blesses these things. These things are signs that you are apart from God, 
not a part of God. The temptation towards them isn't the sin. The embracing of them and the replacing of God with them is. And let's just be real. And I'm not judging here. I'm just asking. I don't know who you are. This is a recording. I'm alone talking to my computer. I'm asking you to search your thoughts. Jesus called Peter Satan for suggesting he be anything short of who he truly is. Based on your own thoughts and actions, based on your representation of Christ in your words and actions and thoughts, what would Jesus call you today? The good news? However you answered that? Jesus is right there ready to forgive you, ready to cover your sins with his own perfect blood, ready to give you your mansion in heaven. If you're ready to recognize him for who he is, accept what he's done, and accept that his will and character supersedes your will and idea of who he should be. If you're ready to no longer be ashamed of Jesus, then he stands ready to not be ashamed of you. So let's pray. Lord Jesus, thank you for loving us despite how often we love ourselves more than we love you. Forgive us our unbelief. Forgive us our attempts to redefine you. And forgive us the times we, like Peter, try to actually rebuke you for being you and trying to make you suit us. You are the creator. You are the sovereign God, and may your will be done in our hearts, in our minds, and in our very souls. And it's in Jesus' name, not ours, that we pray. Amen. Man, I tell you what, I love God's word. Um, I know he taught me something today, and hopefully you've learned something as well. Uh, just have a blessed week this week, fellow humans, and I am waving goodbye at you now. So long. So I Was Reading is a ministry of Faith Bible Church of Mechanicsville, Maryland, a non-denominational body of believers bound together by a desire to know the Lord and to reach others with His gospel message. If you are interested to know more about our church, our beliefs, or this podcast, you can contact us at soiwasreading at faithbiblemd.org or look us up on the World Wide Web at faithbiblemd.org. Thank you for listening and have a blessed week in his name.